Well, hi, everybody. It's great to be with you today as we continue our little series, our mini-series called Grace and Truth by talking today on the topic of telling the truth. I want to start out by telling you a true story that happened about 300 years ago. There was a a man who was the commander of, of a British merchant ship, and his name was Captain Fudge. Isn't that a great name, Captain Fudge? I always wondered, did he know Captain Crunch? <laughs> I don't know if he did or not, but, but uh, Captain Fudge was a real guy, and he became notorious for telling tall tales and exaggerating his improbable adventures on the high seas. I mean, he got so uh, known for that. His name was so associated with those kind of tall tales that when his crew would hear someone else exaggerating or telling a tall tale, they would point their finger at them and say, fudge, fudge. Well, by the uh, mid-1800s, his notoriety had spread to America. And when children tried to cheat at marbles, their opponents would say, hey, No fudging, no fudging. And to this day, the term fudging is used when we're talking about someone who's lying or cheating or exaggerating or hedging. It's like, you know, oh yeah, he's a great candidate for office, but once he got elected, he started to fudge on all his promises. Or that guy, he fudges on his taxes. Or maybe you might inflate the figures on the budget that you submit to your boss because you're building in a fudge factor. I mean, let's face it, everyone fudges at some time or the other. None of us, even though we try, none of us is totally honest all the time. There are times when we exaggerate. There are times when we break commitments, even though we may try not to. In fact, we can trace back that behavior to the very opening pages of the Bible where Adam fudged by blaming Eve for the way he violated God's command, and where Cain killed his brother and fudged when God asked him about it, and we have been feasting on fudge ever since. In fact, a study a few years back showed that two out of three Americans have no hesitation to lie if it it suits their purposes. In fact, Time Magazine had a cover story with the headline, Lying, Everyone's Doing It honest. It's this tendency for us to fudge, to lie, that prompted Jesus to address the topic of truth-telling and commitment-keeping in his Sermon on the Mount. Now, to appreciate his teachings, you have to understand that lying was so common in those days that people would often use oaths or vows to try to convince others that, no, 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 this time I'm really being truthful. Actually, you know, some people use oaths even today. They'll say things like, as God is my witness, or I swear on a stack of Bibles that this is true, or, you know, may God strike me with lightning if I'm lying. I mean, those are oaths. I mean, when people would swear an oath, what they were doing in those Old Testament times was calling on God to be a witness to their truthfulness and inviting him to punish them if they were lying. I mean, they were invoking God's name to add credibility to what they were saying. And so back in the Old Testament, um, God permitted oaths. You know, if the situation uh, was solemn, if it were necessary. And of course, even today, as I say, people go into a court of law, they swear an oath on a Bible to tell the truth. 
But Leviticus 19 verse 12 warned this. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And because God's people were so petrified of profaning the name of God, whenever they would invoke God's name in an oath, they would do everything possible to keep their promise. But that just frustrated them. Why? Because we all have a tendency to fudge. And so they started to create loopholes. The the religious leaders said to themselves, you know what, if we swear by God's name, then we're absolutely bound to be truthful. But what if we swore by something less than God's name? Then could we be less than truthful? And that's what they started to do. That was the game they began to play. They began swearing by, I swear by heaven, or I swear by the temple, or I swear by earth, or I swear by my head, which means by my life. Now, Jesus, when he came along, he loved to demolish deceptive and hypocritical and rule-dominated religious systems, and he loved to zero in on the true intentions of the heart. And so that's what he did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33, where he said this, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, hey, stop fudging. Stop fudging. Jesus saying, it's absurd to think that you're free to lie when you swear by heaven or earth or by Jerusalem or by your head, meaning your life, um, because they were all created by God. And falsely swearing by any part of God's creation profanes his name. And then after saying what we shouldn't do, Jesus told them what we should do. And he was very succinct. Verse 37, he said, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I mean, what's simpler than that? If you commit to something, do it. If you say something, be truthful. If you make a promise, fulfill it. If you describe something, don't exaggerate. I mean, when you Live that out as a lifestyle. You don't need to have an oath. You don't need to have a vow. Those become superfluous because your word is good. Do you know someone like that? Someone who is as good as their word. I mean, they stood out from the crowd in the day of Jesus, and they stand out from the crowd today. In fact, there was a young man, seven years old. His name is Tanner Muncie, lived in Florida, um, whose truth-telling landed him in the pages of Sports Illustrated magazine. Let me tell you what he did. Tanner was playing in Little League, and he was playing first base one day. And the ball is hit to him, and he grabs the ball, and he reaches out to tag the base runner who is running from first to second. And the umpire says, out! And uh, Tanner looked to the umpire and said, well, excuse me, sir, but I missed him with the tag. 
And the umpire said, excuse me, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I tried to tag him. I reached out to tag him with the ball, but I missed him. So the umpire said, well, okay. And he reversed his ruling and he called the player safe. I mean, can you imagine a major league baseball player doing something like that? Could you imagine in a championship NBA game, a player going down the court and tapping the shoulder of the referee and saying, excuse me, I, I fouled a guy back there. I don't think you saw it, but I fouled that guy. He, you, you ought to really give him some free throws. I mean, that would be on the page of Sports Illustrated if that ever happened. But then listen to what happened about two weeks later. Two weeks later, Tanner's playing in another Little League game. Same umpire. This time, Tanner is playing shortstop. The ball is hit to him. He goes to tag out a runner. And the umpire says, safe. But then the umpire noticed something was troubling Tanner. So he said, what's wrong? And Tanner said, I tagged him. And the umpire said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I reached out with the ball, and I, I, maybe you didn't see me. I tagged him. And so the umpire, what did he do? He called the runner out. And the, the opposing manager came storming out of the dugout to demand to know what is going on. And the umpire said to him, in effect, you know, this boy has shown me that he's a truth teller. And if he says the runner is out, then the runner is out. I love that. This is what Jesus wants his followers to be known as. People who is good who are as good as their word, truth-tellers, commitment-keepers, promise-fulfillers, people who stand out from the background noise of society's uh, deceit and deception and dishonesty. He wants that for our own sake, for our own reputations, for our own character development, for healthy relationships, for our sense of self-esteem, and for our own peace of mind. I mean, we reap a lot of benefits when we tell the truth. So how does this play out in practical terms? I just want to talk about three areas of truth-telling from everyday life. The first one is casual commitments. Casual commitments. By casual commitments, I mean those off-handed promises that we make to colleagues and friends and family members and classmates. And we often make them out of good intentions, but the problem is we don't take them seriously enough to fulfill them. And the fallout is that others are hurt and God is offended because he is a God of truth and any falsehood is an affront to him. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5 says, It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So here are some casual commitments that people often fudge on. Here's one of my favorites. The doctor will see you shortly. How many times have you heard that one? You're, you're in the doctor's office, in that little room, it's freezing in there, you're in your underwear waiting for the doctor to come in, and they say, He'll, doctor will be in in a minute. And you wait and you wait. And I don't know if you're like me, but I go over to the doctor's desk and I build a little fort, a little cabin out of the tongue depressors that, that are there. And, and then I'm embarrassed when he comes in. But, but that's one that we often hear. Another one we hear a lot is, we'll do lunch soon. I mean, how many times do we throw out that line, but it never really happens? And we forget we made the comment, but the other person remembers it and they feel devalued because we didn't come through. 
Or how about this one? I'll just take a minute of your time. Really? You're just going to take 60 seconds of my time. How often does that happen? Or when a husband says, you can count on me to do half the, home, uh, half the housework. I mean, guys, your wife is too loving to point out your, your fudging on that particular statement. We, guys tend to fudge on that every bit as much as they fudge on the statement, I'll change half the diapers or I'll get up for half of the 2 a.m. feedings. Or how about this one? The check is in the mail. I mean, if all the checks were in the mail, the people said are in the mail, the postal service would shut down. Or here's one. Don't worry, this sermon will be on the short side. Yeah, I'm guilty of violating that quite a bit. But that's just a sampling of the kind of casual commitments we make. Happens all the time in marriage when we say, I'll be home on time for sure tonight, honey. Or I know we haven't spent a lot of time together, but um, I'm going to make up for it next month. Or let's have a date night every week this coming year. And it happens with our kids. When we say, oh, I'll be at every one of your soccer games, Billy, or I'll be at every one of your dance recitals, Linda. Or uh, we're all going to take a family vacation this summer. Oh, it's going to be great. We're going to take a whole month off and travel the country. But then they don't happen. I remember when I was on the staff of a church in Chicago, and, and uh, I was incredibly busy. I was overwhelmed with what I was doing. Uh, I was spending way too many hours away from the family. And so one day I tried to make up for it, and I said to my son, Kyle, who was a little kid at the time, I said, hey, Kyle, I, I know I've been gone a lot and, and, and at, at work a lot, but um, hey, the, the Cubs are playing uh, later today. Why don't I come home early from work? We'll drive downtown to Wrigley Field. I'll take you to the Cubs game. He said, oh, great. So he was all excited. So I go to work, and I got involved with a million different things, and I forgot about the time. And then by the time I realized what time it was, it was too late uh, to take him to the ball game. So I, mem I remember I can replay this in my mind. I remember pulling up our driveway, and there was my son sitting on the front steps, and he had his Cubs cap on, and he had his baseball mitt on. And I went over and I said, Kyle, I'm so sorry. I, I got busy again at work, and, and it's too late to go to the game today. I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. We'll do it again another day. But you know what really hit me? He wasn't mad at me. He didn't get angry. Instead, he just said, okay, Dad and walked away, and I realized, why isn't he mad? The reason he wasn't mad is this had become routine. This had become an everyday virtual, everyday experience. He had come to the point where he could no longer trust the casual commitments that I would make. And for him, it's just another day, another broken promise. And kids are easily bruised by our broken promises. They're naive enough to expect, expect that our yes will mean yes and our no will mean no. And when you fudge on the little things with your kids, pretty soon they don't believe you about anything. And then before long, when they start making commitments to you, like where they're going to be going, who they're going to be seeing, uh, how, what they're going to be looking at at the internet, when they begin to make commitments to you, they're going to be fudging just like you taught them to do. 
Friends, every time a casual commitment is broken, an incremental amount of damage is done. Credibility is diminished. Trust is eroded. People feel devalued. Relationships are strained. And God is offended. Because even though we're casual about making promises, we make them in his very presence. And he takes them seriously. So what should we do? Let me just offer a couple practical suggestions. The first one is this. If if what I've said today has brought to mind someone who you have devalued or hurt because of a broken commitment, a broken promise, go to them and apologize. Just be honest and say, oh man, I I intended to do that. I I know I didn't, and and I take it seriously, and I I really am sorry. Uh, I hope you're not offended by it. And I'll do better, I hope, in the future of keeping my commitments. Apologize to someone who you may have have hurt. And then second idea, uh, if you've been sloppy about keeping casual commitments, develop a new habit starting this week. And here's the habit. Whenever you find yourself about to make a casual commitment, just mentally pause for a second and ask yourself, am I really going to keep this commitment? Am I really going to do what I say I'm going to do? And if not, don't say it or say it in a way that is accurate. Uh, Instead of saying, let's get together for lunch next week, maybe it's better to say, you know, I got a really busy week uh, next week. Uh, I'd love to have lunch together. Let's see how things develop. Um, and see if we can make that happen. Uh, that's a little more, that's not fudging on, on, the, on the issue. That's being more accurate on the issue. In other words, let your less yes be yes and your no be no. Turn your casual commitments into careful commitments. And then the second area I want to talk about are corporate commitments. Corporate commitments. By that I mean the promises that you make in the marketplace. Commitments to giving your boss a full day's work for a full day's pay. To treating your employees with respect and with dignity and fairness. To being honest on your expense report. To being honest on your taxes. To following through with the promises that you make to your clients or customers. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. I mean, think about it. When we pursue our careers with integrity, we don't have to spend a lot of time fretting that someone's going to uncover our lies. We don't have to endure sort of a a low-level, ongoing sense of anxiety about getting caught. We don't have to stockpile excuses or rationalizations. We can sleep at night, even without ambient. I like the way the business expert... um, Ken Blanchard put it. He said, there is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. That's good, isn't it? Even the Harvard Business Review backs up the Bible's teachings. Listen to what an article in the Harvard Business Review said. To be a winner, a person must play to win. This does not mean that he must be ruthless, cruel, harsh, or treacherous. On the contrary, The better his reputation for integrity, honesty, and decency, the better his chances for victory will be in the long run. Now, sometimes the issues we face in business aren't clear-cut. 
Um, we're not quite sure what the right decision to make is. And that's why people who are in, committed to integrity uh, prayerfully work through the hot spots that uh, ethical issues may come up in, uh, things like employee relations and, and financial matters. Some people in business like to develop accountability relationships with like-minded people who are in the same profession, who are committed followers of Jesus, so that they can consult with each other as they grapple through what is the honest thing to do in this nuancy situation. For instance, you know, if, if you run a restaurant, um, I can give you some general advice on, on what the honest thing to do is in certain circumstances, but I don't understand the restaurant business. But wouldn't it be great if you had someone you knew who's in the restaurant business, who's a strong, committed Christian, who you could call from time to time and have a conversation and say, hey, I'm facing this particular situation in my business. I know you understand it because you're in the same business. So how do you handle it? How do you maintain your honesty in the midst of this situation? How do I tell the truth uh, when the pressure is on in this particular way? I mean, those kind of relationships are gold in terms of helping us maintain our honesty in the marketplace. But even so, even so, it's not often easy. It's not often easy. Um, it's much easier sometimes to play fast and loose. But Jesus said, in effect, guard your integrity for your own sake and ultimately for the sake of your business. And then finally, the third area I'll talk about are kingdom commitments. Kingdom commitments. These are some of the spiritual commitments that are often kind of easy to break. Things about uh, commitments we make concerning uh, serving and, and, and giving and things like that. But the one I want to highlight is a very common one, which is what happens when somebody comes to you and says, uh, would you pray for me? You know, I've got a, a, a big exam tomorrow. Would you pray for me? Uh, my wife is going through a health crisis, would you pray for us? Um, I'm facing a big decision at work, would you pray for me? Uh, and, and, and often people will say that and we'll say, sure, yeah, I'll pray for you. And we intend to do it, but it slips our mind. Not intentionally, but we forget about it and we do not lift them up to the Lord. This is how the paraphrase of the Bible, the message, renders Matthew chapter 5, uh, one verse. It says, you only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you and never do it, or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. I mean, when somebody asks you to pray for them, it may sound like kind of an offhanded thing, but that is a sacred moment. They are trusting you with something of eternal significance. And so let me make two suggestions. Um, if someone asks you to pray for them, the, the, the best thing to do often is to immediately write it down. You know, you have that memo section on your iPhone where you can make notes and just make a note to yourself, make a prayer list and say, yes, I will pray for you. And, I, I, and add them right there to your prayer list so you don't forget and you, you do take time to lift them to the Lord. Or the other thing to do, and this is what I do a lot, when somebody asks me for prayer, I say, okay, let's pray right now. 
And often they'll look at me and say, really? I say, yeah, let's do it right now. And right then and there, wherever we are, I've, I've done this in the middle of restaurants. I've done it all over. I'll just put a hand on their shoulder and close my eyes and pray for them at that very moment. What does that say? That says, this is so um, important. This is so sacred for you to ask me to pray for you. I'm, I'm going to make sure I don't forget. I'm going to make sure I seize this opportunity right now to lift you to the Lord. To pray for them right then and right there. That sends a great message. And then we don't inadvertently fail to meet our commitment. Now, of course, you know, we talk about all these different kinds of commitments. The truth is, hard as we try, there are going to be those instances when we forget or we break a commitment, and yet God doesn't break his commitment to us. And one of my favorite commitments that God makes to us is in 1 John 1, verse 9. that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God always keeps his commitments like that. Well, let me end with another true story about truth-telling and honesty and God's commitment to us. This is something that happened to me several years ago when I was a pastor at a church up in the Chicago area. And one day I got a phone call from a guy I knew from the church, and he said, Lee, I, I got something really embarrassing to tell you about. And I thought, oh boy, what's this? I said, well, tell me. He said, well, you know our little daughter. Um, we found out that she shoplifted a book from the church bookstore. She's a good kid. I mean, it's really shocked us, but she actually stole this book. I said, oh, man. And he said, yeah, could you help us out? And I said, well, how do you want me to help? He said, could you kind of represent the church and let her come and apologize to you uh, on behalf of the church? And then if you could uh, maybe come up with some appropriate um, punishment, uh, penalty that, that she could pay, that we'd really appreciate. We'd kind of like this to be a little bit of a life lesson. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll do that. And I, but I was thinking, yeah, there's kind of another lesson that I want to teach. And so the next morning, uh, this couple, this guy and his wife and this little eight-year-old girl come walking into my office and she's looking down. It's like the weight of the world is on her shoulders. And she comes in and she sits in the chair and she's so small, she almost gets swallowed up by the chair. And um, so we had some pleasantries for a few minutes and I went around and I sat in the edge of the desk and I, I looked at her and I said as gently as I could, I said, honey, tell me what happened. And so her little lip started to quiver and, and she said, well, I, I was at Sunday school and, and, and we got out and I took a shortcut through the church bookstore and and I saw this book there that, that I wanted, and, and then the tears came. And, and her, her, her tears just were coming down her cheek, and I reached, and I got a Kleenex, and I gave her the Kleenex, and, and, and she's sniffling, and she said, I, I saw this book, and, and I really wanted it. I didn't have the money, so, so I took the book, and I, and I put it under my coat, and I walked out, and, and I knew it was wrong, and I knew I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway, and I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And she was so sweet and so sincere. She was a truth teller, even though it was against her interest. And so I said, honey, I am so proud of you. 
for being honest, for telling the truth about what happened, for confessing, for admitting what you did. That is the right thing to do. I'm proud of you for doing it. Thank you. I said, honey, what do you think the uh, appropriate penalty would be? And she kind of shook her head, and I said, well, let me, let me suggest something. I had known, by the way, her parents had told me she'd already thrown the book away because she didn't want to get caught with the evidence, so she wanted to get rid of the evidence. So the book was no longer in the picture. So I said to her, well, what if, you know, I understand the book costs $5. What if you repaid the church $5, but then three times that amount for the penalty, which would make a total of $20. Do you think that would be fair? And she looked up at me and she nodded because she could see the fairness of that. But then I could see in her eyes a sense of panic. You know, she didn't have the $5 for the book in the first place. She certainly didn't have $20. That's a mountain of money for a little kid like that. And and so there was that look in her eye of of panic and like, yeah, I see the fairness, but I I don't know what to do. There's no way I could ever pay that. And so I turned and I went behind my desk and sat in my chair and I pulled open the center drawer of my desk and I took out my personal checkbook. And I wrote a check for $20 out to the church and I signed it and I tore off the check and I went around to the little girl and I said, honey, I know there's no way you can pay that penalty. And so I would like to pay it for you on your behalf. I said, do you know why I would want to do that? And she shook her head. She was bewildered. She shook her head and I said, honey, I want to do that because I love you. Because you're important to me. You matter to me. And what I want you to remember is that Jesus feels that same way about you, but even more, even more. And so I handed her the check and she grabbed it and she, she pulled it to her little chest and, and, and she was just giddy with gratitude. I mean, she just, it was just her face lit up and she was so relieved. It was like the weight of the world had come off of her shoulders. And that little girl who had walked into my office under a weight of shame now went skipping down the corridor away from that encounter. Why do I tell you that story? Because it's relevant to you and it's relevant to me. I mean, here's the truth. We need, you need, I need to go to God and do what that little girl did when she came to me. We need to tell God the truth. Not that he doesn't already know it, but we need to confess it. We need to admit it. We need to come to God and say, God, I have sinned. I have, I have fudged. I've broken commitments. I've exaggerated, I've lied, I've used your name in vain, I've blasphemed against you. I mean, I've cheated. I haven't given my boss a full day's work for a full day's pay a lot of days. I mean, there are a million things I have done that are sinful. And I want to confess that. And I want to turn from that. I want to repent from that. Because what does that sin do? It separates us from God. God is perfect. God is pure. God is holy. We're not. We're sinful. And so this creates a a distance, a gap, a chasm between us. God doesn't want that. He loves us. So what did he do to remedy the situation? 
He can't lie and say, oh no, you've never sinned, you're perfect. No, he can't do that. He's perfect and holy. He has to deal with us. So what does he do? Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, comes into this world, lives the perfect life, and in effect, he writes the check to pay the penalty that you deserve. How did he do that? He goes to the cross to pay the death penalty that we deserve for the sins that we've committed so that our debt can be paid and we can be set free. But here's the thing. It's like when I wrote the check for the little girl and I ripped off the check and I handed it to her, she had to accept it. She had to receive it. If she had just let it be and never took that step of receiving it, it wouldn't be hers. But she grabbed it in gratitude and clutched it to her heart. And that's what we need to do. John 1:12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. We need to receive. Receive what? Receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for us on the cross when he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sin. And when we do that, then we are reconciled with God in this world, and then that relationship becomes a perfect relationship forever in heaven in the world to come. Have you ever done that? Have you ever received that free gift of God's grace? Let me give you the opportunity to do that right now so that you will know the rest of your life. No, on that day, I remember, it was right through the internet. I prayed with Lee. So I know once and for all, my sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. I have received him as my Lord and my Savior. So just just say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess the obvious to you, which is I, I am a sinner. I fudged, I've lied, I've cheated. I know that. And I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you purchased for me on the cross when you died as my substitute to pay for all of my sin. Thank you for loving me so much that you wrote the check in your blood to pay the penalty that I deserve so that I don't have to. Help me, Jesus, to live the kind of life that you want me to live because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we celebrate those just like the six folks last night that took that step and received forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift through your Son. We celebrate those that have taken that step today. And we thank you that we can be part of a church that proclaims your message of hope and grace far and wide when we think of all the ways that this church, through the generosity of its people, is serving those in need during this pandemic meeting very practical needs in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you we can be a part of that. And we pray that you would give us the opportunity to share a message of hope and grace with people we encounter. 
this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for being with us. If you've, if you've taken that step today, and you now you know for sure that you're safely in the family of God, there's a button you can click there. It says, raise your hand. Can you do that? Uh, it's important to let someone know that you've taken that step. God bless you. I hope you'll be back next week. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.